0: This is a podcast from 3Triple R 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: Yeah, folks. It's a hard-driving baseline. It's a moving thing with the drums and everything, and it means that it is the afternoon here on 3Triple R FM. You're at home with us, <laughs> or maybe you're on the road. Mm. Um, what are you doing on this sort of tempestuous, crazy, sort of weathery day.
0: Stormy. It's been over a day now the storms have been rolling through.
1: Looking forward to the day, looking forward to a little bit of thunder and lightning. We didn't get uh, much our way in
0: St Kilda yesterday, but I saw like the eastern and southeastern suburbs got slammed on the rain radar.
1: You have a bit of a view at your place, it has to be said.
0: Yes. We and can see the bay.
1: you can see, um, well, let's face it, god's great light show
0: yes there's plenty of that yesterday a little lightning Mm. Mm.
1: yeah it's um so yeah it's um it's sunday folks it's the afternoon glad to have you with us we're just sort of chilling out in the studio today we've uh we're caffeinated which is kind of good you
0: uh once again this has become a bit of a tradition hasn't it we pop across the road before the show when i say we that's the royal we today because you did it and uh yeah
1: i (laughs) <laughs> acquired, I, I did
0: acquired a couple of those delicious little espresso croissants. Yeah, and also
1: it reminds you. Oh, I owe you five bucks. Oh, that really? Goes. Yeah, you, go. you, you go. didn't have to do that. Oh well, you know. I'll hold it up to the microphone. It makes for interesting radio, doesn't it? Sorry about <laughs> that, folks. Um, self-indulgent it is. We are so happy to have you on board mm. on this day. We've got a couple guests in today. Yes, we've um, got a couple guests. We thought we'd spend a bit of time having a chat too. Yost Baker, mm. um, a polymath in a way. Mm. You have to be said. Mm. I mean, you're a man of a very many-faceted sort of a, a person. Um, someone who does beautiful flowers. Yes, and so I, just, tulips in, I was just in
0: saying before the show, I'd forgotten completely he's a florist by trade because mm. whenever we have him in, of course, we're talking about what he's doing with his other talents, which is um, sending around sustainability and uh, reducing
1: waste. Reducing waste, mm. uh, um, which he has done uh, in collaboration with Matt Stone, first yes. of all, The Greenhouse, uh, Brothel, Silo. Mm. Silo, of course, evolved into, into Brothel a subversive kind of a guy if we sort of sort of look at it maybe mm. subverting some of the the tenets and the ideas that uh, are accepted in society mm. and therefore is a very dangerous person oh really yeah yeah well a dangerous mind a, a dangerous mind <laughs> the dangerous guy no but we're going to we're going to have a bit of a chat to him he's um he's coming in and one of the things that i really really loved was um he was Picked by Lexus to build the pavilion at the Birdcage at Flemington. Yes. Did you go? <laughs> yeah, but oddly, uh,
0: my invite might have got lost in the mail this year.
1: I did get invited to the Birdcage just you? years ago. Yeah, I've when, never been... when I was probably, as you would describe me as, a, I don't know, C D E F G H I J- grade celebrity. Yeah, that's a J. Thank you. We'll, we'll settle on J. And, um, but the, the great thing was that, you know, here was, um, this pavilion that had all these really, really interesting ideas of sustainability. Yes. And, um, and being able to sort of have a closed loop type thing away from a lot of the systems. Uh, within, mm. it sort of was almost a bit, it reminded me a bit of like a Trojan horse, it did. It did. All these people drink, yeah, well, this is kind of... Anyway, we're going to talk to him about that. Yes. um, About many things, about (laughs) the economic system and about food growing, sustainability, and maybe divorcing ourselves from the centralised systems that have dominated so much within the 20th century.
0: Indeed. And we were talking about this a little bit um, off air, but I think it's a really interesting topic where... You know, you you don't have to do things the way we always used to do them. So we can we can capture and create our own electricity. We can capture our own water. We can grow our own food. Um, and what Yoast is really good at looking at is how that applies in an urban space and how we can actually collectively do things that, uh, as you say, decentralise us from the big corporations and capitalism that we all know and
1: love. I'm the sure. the um, what well, we use the acronym the bag. The bag. The big ass grid. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> no, no, I just made it, and <laughs> oh, made it up, sorry, didn't you? <laughs> I, did, I did, I did, I didn't say it was any good, but I just, it sort of just came to me. Um, but uh, the other thing mm. uh, we have, waiting in the green room, patiently. Yes, yes there she is. She mm. looks like reading the paper. Yeah, yeah just, just chilled out. Uh, we have the very, very famous Katerina Borsato of uh, Katerina's Cucina mm. in Queen Street, also of Channel 31, mm. uh, one of the great uh, food communicators... Of uh, the Italian cucina I said, waving my hands And hopefully Catherine should probably just going Oh my god Hope he doesn't try to speak Italian You had he'll a, murder that
0: You had a dangerous idea Around Italian cuisine
1: What was that? Oh Yeah go on
0: Is it Actually I'm probably not going to say it As well as you said it But is Italian cuisine Being constrained a little bit By its own heritage?
1: Yes By its own success And its mm. own history And unable to move forward Please discuss. Mm.
0: Where's the Bolognese phone?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Where,
1: where's the Bolognese phone? Yeah. That is what That is what the world needs and obviously sure. is what we're waiting I'm for. Sure. Um, but we're going to be talking, oh, you know, because mm. if we can't talk about food to an Italian. So um, <laughs> looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime... Uh, Matt has been cooking dangerous things at home.
0: <laughs> well, this this little tale. Dangerous Started ideas. last week when, uh, after the show, he yeah. said, So, Matt, what are, what are you, what are you hey, doing? What are you doing? What are hey. you doing tonight? Huh? And I said, Well, Cam, I, I was thinking about uh, cooking a new recipe that I found online. Yeah, and uh, I
1: went, Oh, that sounds really exciting, Matt. Wow. What are you going to have? Yeah,
0: that's really good. Wow. New recipe. And I said, Well, I think I might try like a lentil shepherd's pie.
1: Wow. So What? <laughs> <laughs> you scoffed. You. I mean,
0: really? But I say, and to you're doing you, that for fun. I say to you, uh, <laughs> the lentil shepherd's pie is valid for a few reasons. <laughs> valid,
1: <laughs> it's valid. That's so throwing stuff that I would throw at you. I <laughs> know. No, this no is, man, it's this valid. Is like odd roll reversal isn't it? It is its Why is it valid? Well, uh, why why is lentils and mashed potato valid? First of all, and most obviously, of course, is vegetarian. Yes, so that's it's, good. So you get do- Also, very very good. All that fibre. Mm. scraping through your intestines, Matt. Yes. It'll be doing you a load of good. See? And there's another reason. There you go. No, it is. I can see. I, yeah, I know. I'm arguing my own case against my own case here. No, so, that, That's, that's secondly, normal.
0: Secondly, it's properly yummy. And I can confirm this now having cooked and eaten it. Was,
1: it was what? It was what flavours did you put in lentils? Because the, the, the one thing, you know, the mm. Indians worked it out. They said, you know, that's these true. lentils by themselves, I'm not going to do an Indian Mm. accent no mm. these are not very good and we need to put <laughs> some flavors in them and that's why we have dal and dal is like a, a symphony it is correct it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing dal and, but you said you had a secret ingredient here's the
0: freaky ingredient right so and speaking the of freaky italian, speaking of italian food you sort of start with the basics of Frito, so your onion and carrot and your <laughs> shit goes yeah. in there what
1: music did you have playing
0: Actually, I can't remember. I think I might have just had triple R on. Okay. Might, have, might have been listening to uh, JBG. Good answer. Whilst all this was going down. Oh, yes. Uh, tin of tomatoes, in it goes. All very standard at this point. A tin of tomatoes. Lentils, yeah. pre-cooked, in they go. A tin of tomatoes. Tomatoes and mashed
1: potatoes. Yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, it's valid. Yeah,
0: yeah okay. Now, here's the freaky bit. Oh. A tablespoon and a half of soy sauce.
1: Umami. That's exactly Glutamates. right. Uh, background. Salt. Use it a little bit of... Yeah, Okay.
0: And for the first three minutes, fusion. All you'll smell is soy sauce. You're like a, you're it's like,
1: fusion. You're like a German executive chef from big hotels. Yeah, we put a bit of soy sauce. It's crazy. It's Asian fusion. Nobody knows. Okay, yes. For the
0: first three minutes, all you can smell is soy. And you go, oh, oh ruined bloody it. hell. Ruined Run it. away. But yes. by the time it all cooks through, uh, you're dead right. It gives you the salt and the umami. It's actually quite. I would never have considered putting soy sauce in something. Which is moderately classic Italian. You could it
1: almost—it's—it's it's almost the same as um, you know. There's uh, recipes where so you you put anchovies in things. Yes, and you go,
0: oh, it's going to be far too much. And they
1: dissolve in, and mm. you know, people that go, I hate anchovies. As you anchovies would. are, God, a devil's
0: spawn. Well, you hate them if the only time you've ever eaten them was on a Pizza Hut pizza. Then you'd go, oh, this is awesome. oh yeah, sure. and this pizza's rubbish too.
1: Or um, in those what what are those pizzas? I've never had one that apparently mm. you know the ring around it. They fill up the ring around it with oh, cheese. Oh, what is that? So again? as you're eating the crust, it's just exploding all this, <laughs> this hot cheese this all over Plastic you. cheese. <laughs> ah! And the screams and the burns unit and yeah. Anyway,
0: abomination. I'm going to get this recipe for the lentil pie uh, shepherd's pie <laughs> and I'm going to put it online you and we're, put all, it online. we're all we're all going to so we it,
1: can all enjoy it just despite you. Okay. Yeah. Um All Except right. No, no, okay. No, all right. See, here's a serious thing. Mm. If we if we're going to go down this road, mashed potato. Mm. Your thoughts? How did you? It, do you peel your potatoes before you put them in the water? Do you do it sort of from this from one, boiling? Yeah. This one. Do I, you like some sh- French chefs I've heard of? They put them in rock salt, so they mm-hmm. just sort of dry roast sort of thing Ooh, or i
0: haven't heard of that how, how do you um, do i don't mash. normally peel i did peel this time around because uh and this is one something i learned from john at the market you don't buy obviously the washed potatoes you buy the, no, the ones crazy with, yeah you buy the ones with the dirt around yeah there. so you can either scrub the dirt off yeah or, or it's just to peel them so and also
1: them. and don't forget the dirt acts as sort of like a sunscreen too it sort of keeps them
0: <laughs> yes the Dirt's good no the dirt is good washed
1: potatoes are anathema.
0: Don't buy those bleached white things you see in the supermarket, no. Yeah,
1: okay, so anyway, so you uh, you boil your potatoes yes. and how do you smash them? What is the... Do you throw them against the wall? <laughs> Do you step on them a lot? No, I went traditionally... Do so, you have I, a
0: ricer? I don't mind. I do have a ricer. I didn't use oh, it for this. But really? I kind of like just rustic, lumpy mash. I'm cool with that. So I get the old-fashioned masher uh-huh. out of yeah. the second drawer down that everyone's got, the one that's got yeah, all the utensils is. in with no water yes. whatsoever.
1: Yes. And just... Yes. <laughs> with some butter and some milk. What music, Jeb, for that? I think it was probably still JBG. Oh, I thought you should go double kick pattern. <laughs> de- death metal for that one. Um, me, myself, I prefer uh, the... And I don't know about you guys out there. At uh, Mm -hmm. 13 minutes past the hour of 12, the potato ricer is one of just this great invention. So what is a potato ricer for those who don't know? A potato ricer is like a giant garlic press of old. Yeah, Um, pretty much. In that it has two handles. It has a a hinge, so it has a pin in it. Um, It has a cylindrical thing with holes down the bottom one end. And a, a handle on your pushes and it forces using mm. the miracle of the lever. Mm. Um, thank you. whoever Was that Archimedes who invented that? the anyway, lever? Yeah, anyway, a whoever, whoever did it good mm. on you. Love your work. <laughs> um, but it forces it through to a uniform um, size mm-hmm. and it makes for really, really great. Mashed potato.
0: It is just like a massive garlic press, you're right.
1: It is like a great, yes, and um, and they work really, really well. But I would, uh, one, mm. there is a, a, a school of thought. This mm. is actually me being serious for 30 seconds mm. in that if you don't peel your potatoes, you keep them so that they're watertight. Mm-hmm you will get a much drier and fluffier potato because otherwise they can get a bit waterlogged. Yeah, right. And soggy mash. I out. would Very say fun.
0: it's no fun. I'd say regardless of which spud you use or how you do it, um, after you've boiled, after the boiling phase, uh, uh, let them steam out because uh, that's all the water disappearing.
1: And um, and lots of butter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Butter and milk and salt. and um, Some people like white pepper so you can't see it. Oh, right. I don't mind seeing my pepper. No. I'm proud of my pepper. <laughs> cool with it. Proud of it. Um, but, yeah, no, good good mash is a great thing. And um, whether it's a shepherd's pie, whether it's a cottage pie, or whether it's your... Delicious lentil pie. Weird art. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Don't worry, the recipe's coming on. Yes. With your... How much? Teas- tablespoon.
0: A tablespoon and a half of soy sauce. <laughs>
1: I know, it's bold. Going off. Surprise me. 12.15. Look at it. Has anyone time. seen Yoast yet? Look at it? Yeah, come the kids. Oh, there, there we go. go. We've got the, f- the first coming in there. Look,
0: how about we have a little bit of Muzak?
1: you got music at which, uh, which track we're We're going, going? to uh, the we're going one ahead. that Cameron selected. Oh, okay. This is um, this is something I, I actually have to <clears throat> thank my, my dinner guests yesterday for mm. uh, uh, bringing this back. We, we had a little bit of a, a dance-a-thon with uh, the harder edge of, uh, of this group. This is the Beastie Boys, and seems sort of just a nice track to have on a Sunday when the, when the clouds are gathering and the rain's coming. Oh, the, the countdown, that's relentless, Matt. 12.24 here on 3 Triple RFM. Uh, I've just seen Joost Baker, who's been assaulting his daughter with headphones. <laughs> uh, this is really quite disturbing, mate, what you're happening? No, it's okay, Remy. Remy's just... How are you, Joost? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It, thank you for making the time to come all the way down from the glorious uh, Shire of Monbog.
2: Shire of Yarra Ranges. Yeah,
1: oh Yarra Ranges, even that sounds even better. Rolling hills.
2: Um, how are the dams? Good. Oh, we're getting. We got twenty mil on Friday night. I didn't check this morning what we got last night, but it just. It's Everything like 10, is growing like buggery,
1: yeah. And um, I think one of the great things of having all these um, these storms and stuff like that, it, I don't know, is it? Do ions make things grow in the air? Where, where we I have, believe so. Okay, yeah. well, I reckon too. Because yeah. it's this is something that John used to say, and we hopefully going to catch up with John at the, on our last show. Mm. John from the the Victoria Market, uh, very famous part of the show. But he said, you know, if you, they. Around, um, Bacchus March, Werribee, where they grow a lot of stuff, there's still really good market areas, market garden areas. If you use just the, the town water, you get a little bit of growth, but when you get the stuff from the sky, oh, yeah. it's yep. completely different, isn't it? Yep. Absolutely. It yeah. really is. So, um, you've just come off, um, the spring racing carnival where you are a very, very busy man. Sort of. <laughs> Well, well yeah, I mean, sort of, I mean you, you have this huge installation that um, you put in as the... Was it the Lexus Pavilion this yeah, year? Yeah, yeah.
2: I've got a, uh, an amazing stat that will blow your mind. In 2005, Sorry. I did the Macquarie Bank Marquee. 2005, yep. 7% of the waste generated at the VRC at Flemington mm-hmm. was diverted from landfill. Yes. Last year, 92%. Wow, and they're um, trying to—they were trying to achieve 95% this year. So, in other words, what's what's great about what they're doing there? You can't just use any material. You've mm-hmm. got it its, it's uh, needs to be recyclable, non-toxic. And there's a whole program now around recycling and sustainability, and they've got in-vessel composters and all sorts of stuff going on. So, there's a guy called James Reed who is responsible for most of it. He's been there for as long as I've been working there, and he's slowly worked his way up and is obsessed.
1: What's his, what's his title within the I organization? Don't know. I'm hopeless at titles. Head, head, he's just a guy that head guy walks around and says, you can't use hey, this. Hey.
2: What's this doing in the bin?
1: Yeah, you yeah, what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are all these batteries doing in here?
2: My kind of guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, and slowly, slowly... Things have changing and, and i don 't know we were speaking on the phone just a, a little while ago and we were talking about some of the things that might come up and it keeps coming through again and again we live in incredible times in incredible change it's so exciting
2: again another great stat when mm. we moved into our house in uh, so we built our home in Mombok about ten years ago yep there were sixty six thousand houses with solar so we we covered a big chunk of our roof of solar panels. Mm. There were 66,000 houses with solar in Australia. Yes. Today, 1.6 million. And That's in 10 years.
1: And one of the things that, that we see from that, and one of the things that for me is the most interesting, as well as being self-sufficient and, um, and off the grid, is that we are diverting ourselves from this whole um, centralised power system. And that is one of the, one of the great things that I, I think we're seeing with this is that we, um, there is this independence that's happening and, uh, and a, an ability to become independent from what was the centralised sort of model of control that was so predominant in the 20th century.
2: But it it's also so costly. Yes. You know, maintaining grids and, and building grids and b- building that kind of infrastructure. We're, going, we're basically going in Australia from a dozen sources of power to, yes you know I believe by the time we hit 2030 we'll have between five and eight million houses that will act as power stations yes so we're, we're generating power where we where we need it mm. and then there's also not that loss there's a huge amount of energy loss when you're transferring it huge distances from power stations to cities and... Along the wires, along, yeah. yeah. Matt, and well, then Matt knows about this. He understands electricity. Thumbs up, yes. Yeah. And, and another great stat is that at Victoria as a whole is using a third less power in the last five years. We've dropped out. Our energy consumption is just reducing so fast, and that's the reason why our energy is going up. Costs are going up because, you know, one thing they never predicted was that it would drop so dramatically, and I, we're only scratching the surface with technology. It's, it's only going to be even more and i think the uh, the owners
1: of um, big power companies would be having many many sleepless nights thinking about this too
2: that's yeah, it's uh you know the technology being created every day is just phenomenal
1: yeah let's um, let's quickly talk about um i'm interested in some of the things that you did uh at flemington and i was wondering if maybe you might be able to sort of give us a description of what the pavilion looked like and some of the Um, the things underlying the design of that and the ethos of that
2: yeah it started with adrian weimans who's the boss of lexus in australia a couple of years ago and he Mm. we've worked together a lot since 2005 and then uh, he said what are you working on and i said i'm working on a a system that um allows people to build houses that allow lots of soil on roofs so the big problem is that engineers freak out when you use conventional building systems and you say, look, I want to put a rooftop garden on. And people go,
1: oh, my God, we're going to have to get bigger bigger joists and things like that to just hold this, almost this crazy weight. Yeah.
2: And uh, a friend of mine, Lucy Fagans from the Design Files, had a similar problem. They wanted to have this new place. And in the end, they had to pull the pin on a lot of it because it just became so costly. But that's because people yes. were trying to retrofit or you ah. know, they weren't designing mm. for that. So I've been working on this concept called Future Cave, which is a skeleton that allows... You know, for easy, fast, modular building, Mm. but also allows heavy loads. So you can load up buildings with, you know, a tonne of soil per square metre. And I'm actually working on this for a property that Jenny and I bought in the hills in Callisto, an old service station site where I'm hoping to, uh, there'll be three buildings, but one of them is going to be turned into a documentary. I'm working with the the guys from Mad Men. Yep. And uh, we hope to build a house on 100 square metres. And Matt Stone and Joe Barrett will move in. Let and them. going to, the, we'll be following them for twelve months, and uh, the idea is that I want to prove that we can nourish ourselves as well as create shelter, as well as have a home. And I just think that when you're surrounded by your food and your home is actually the food system that nourishes you, mm-hmm. you become you appreciate it more. But you also are you're able to grow. You're invested in it. Yeah, well, you're completely in it. you're well, living, well, you're in,
1: living it. in it. Yeah, yeah, it's all and, around you, man. And
2: I really believe that you're also able to have much more nutrient-dense food Mm -hmm. so you know um, it's great when you start doing the numbers we but the average person generates about um, 500 liters of urine a year yes there's the feces there's all these other things so when you start looking at what the nutrients are in those things that currently get wasted um, it's basically everything that we need in our food and plants love this stuff and currently our food system is basically destroying our planet and it's generating food that is actually lacking in nutrients so the biggest problem i think that the western world faces at the moment is that our food is not nutrient dense anymore it's empty
1: empty empty food because you just can't
2: keep pulling and and what's actually hidden is up until 100 years ago you couldn't fake fertilizer you know you needed to put compost back on otherwise you didn't get a crop yeah then they then they invented uh we invented synthetic fertilizer all well, of this was able the, to...
1: the, the, the supposed green revolution
2: that sort of came from india wasn 't it in the '60s uh, no well it was it actually came out of World war two so, oh, like when, earlier than so that. The, okay. the nitrogen bombs and the and and the factories that were built to build bombs suddenly needed what what, what else can we do well they kind of worked out that when a bomb drops no. everything <laughs> grows like buddy buggery because of so they started making synthetic fertiliser. And you we know what? Like it actually know, really does. You know, when you put this white stuff on plants, it, plants just go nuts. But, you know, there's a hundred different elements that plants and we need to, to nourish us properly. Yes. But plants, when you give them nitrogen and potassium... Yes. ...and calcium... Yes. ...they're three elements out of the hundred. Mm. But they're actually the ones that make plants go nuts. Uh-huh. So I think the reason why, you know, we... Uh, Need braces, and we're st- struggling to conceive, and we have problems with mental illness. Is because the food is no longer complete; it's lacking vital minerals and vitamins. And so,
1: it's robust um, in its growth and things like that. But you're getting those, but yeah.
2: you you're missing out on all the other elements needed for successful life. Dan Barber explains it well. He said, if you had a piece of bread a hundred years ago. Pre-synthetic fertiliser. Yes. So one slice of bread was equivalent to a loaf of bread today in nutrient value. Yeah, right. So when you read old journals of people that, uh, you know, and you go, well, geez, they didn't eat much. Well, it was because one carrot had the amount of nutrients today that a whole bunch of carrots uh, mm. today would have, you know, because the soils were loaded with uh, uh, manures and composts, and, and and soils were rested because you couldn't, today, soils, like people grow wheat annually. Yes. Well, that was unheard of because you needed to rest your soils for five years. There's the well. F, the F word, fallow. Fallow. you yeah, yeah. I got you all nervous there. <laughs> Jeez, that, was, that
1: was great. It was good to see you. Was going, Woo! Oh, Remy's I mean, waiting Remy for a while. Remy was dollar. going. You're going to do it. You're going to have to go on the swedge. I know. We're talking about fallow, and the idea was that you you cropped off things, but then you allowed it to recuperate and come back. And the great idea about um, the the future cave is that you want the cave to grow up to. 5,000 kilograms of
2: foods that's, within? That's what, what I'm, you know, but we've got things like aquaponics systems, so we've got different species of fish, snails, crickets, it's like insects are vital. And a lot of people say, well, vegetarian is, an, is a great solution for mm. the world's problems. Yep. But you can't, I believe, get everything that you need from a vegan diet anyway. Yes. If you look at, say, gor- gorillas, you know, they eat 7% of their diet is insects. And their brain is much smaller than ours. Whereas the brain is a big user of of nutrients for us. A quarter of what we eat mm-hmm. goes straight to the to maintaining the brain. Yes, um, and yeah gorillas rely on that huge insect diet that they take in as they're eating and they spend seven hours a day doing nothing other than eating you know to try and make to get enough food keep it keep it all happening yeah so i think insects are a really important part of a sustainable future and that insects love eating stuff that we don't like to eat
1: and this sort of follows this whole notion of what you're doing it, it sort of follows on from mollison for me yeah, You know, Mollison was sort of the, the – he was the father of permaculture and he was the father of all these different zones of agriculture that you could have in one area. Am I explaining that? Yeah, that, absolutely. That yeah. And this is where you're taking that and evolving it now into 21st century uh, building methods to make that a reality for the home. Yeah. Because in the, in the past, Mollison was all about – you devoted a area of garden outside to do this and the idea with that you have is to
2: integrate it into the actual uh, place where you live yeah and and you have all these other benefits like you obviously i believe you can have cities could be much more biodiverse than the best rainforests in the world because you've got you know human beings Mm. living there generating all this stuff that plants love
1: Oh, look at, yeah. Well, look, the greatest example of that is the bees. Yeah. You know, the bees are the, some of the most uh, biodiverse honeys from all the different blossoms. They've, yeah, bird <laughs> Street, mate. You just bloody look, you go here, and it, and that is uh, a fantastic thing. How, if people are interested in this, about freeing themselves, I suppose, from uh, the central system of, let's say, food um making and distribution we're looking at sort of the duopoly that happens within here and in a lot of ways australia is the country of either the monopoly or the duopoly i don't know if you agree with me on that yeah but how uh, what are the steps that um you know it's that old thing of what can one person do one family can do how can we sort of um educate ourselves and
2: move forward into this future that you envision I think it's naturally going to happen anyway. Our kids are it is, demanding it? it. And it's, yeah. it's huge right now. It's happening right now. And there's lots of farmers that are going outside of the system. I mean, in Italy now, there's over 4,000 vending machines on tiny little dairy farms. I mean, oh, I've there? seen them. I said it's a great In France too. Yeah. So this have you just, heard about this, Matt? I have not. This is awesome. So
1: the, yeah. You know, we talk about farmer's gate, uh-huh. you know, things. Yep. Yep. Um, what do they do? Say I'm a farmer and I make great cheese.
2: Well, you, you, it's these vending machines. So the farmer, you don't like Tyrone, who produces this milk in the Yarra Junction, mm. he supplies about 400 families with milk from his 12 Jersey cows. Yep, and that is happening in the UK, in Germany, in America. It is the fastest growing and most profitable uh, agricultural food sector in Europe mm. today. And I, when you're getting, you know, below uh, below cost for your milk. Yes. What do people do you know well let 's start looking at solutions. so a great example is Stephen Hook from Hook and Sons in in uh, the u k He had seventy cows, and the bank manager said, "You need to buy the neighbor you 're losing money <laughs> yes. bigger, you need to get bigger. You know what he did he said i can 't imagine <laughs> having more than seventy cows because he 's like, a holistic big, farmer yeah and I'm, yeah he 's got now eight and a half thousand people that he sells milk to every week direct, totally raw, unpasteurized milk that are going to people that have got children with autism, and, and all these things that are so beneficial mm. to people like that. And um, it's now started, especially in the UK, this huge movement of other farmers doing the same thing, going outside the system, getting a lot more profit, and, yeah, let's hope that we can start doing the same thing here.
1: It seems kind of Buddhist in a way. It's sort of like, you know, flow around the rock. Yeah. The rock is the problem, so we kind of flow around it, which is a good thing. Um, Again, how uh, do we sort of – we find about – when is um, the the place – So I'm
2: currently uh, working with the council and we hope to get a permit to start building uh, in the middle of next year. Yes. And that's that's our dream, our hope, and the reason why I want to try and get the the building up and so we can start planting it out in spring. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously uh, I don't want to be starting to plant it in the middle of summer or at the start of winter – yeah, that that's not, that's yeah. not gonna that, that ain't gonna work too well, is it? But so far we've got to obviously advertise mm. and There'll be lots of people, I'm sure, that will think it's a stupid idea. Mm. So we'll, we've got to make the lo- you know there's lots of locals that are really supportive of it, but not everyone agrees with me. And uh, but luckily, it's what? not the best looking site. It's an old service station site, so we're not cutting down rainforest or anything to try and build something. It's right. You know, it's currently referred to in Callista as the dead center of town. Yes. So yeah, you're so. On. Like a griffin, it will uh, come out of the ashes of that. We
1: we, we hope. No, is a griffin. What's the? It is the griffin that rises up. Phoenix. Phoenix. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You lost me there. A griffin, some <laughs> other sort of mythological thing. But uh, and the other thing that, um, as well as uh, growing plant stuff and things like that, you also want to have notions of aquaculture within there, so that you're growing.
2: Fish. Fish, um, yeah, different species of fish. And um, I'm a huge fan of um, eating um, carp. Yes. And it's still today the most farmed fish on the planet, more than salmon. Yes. Which most people can't believe. And, and, and let's
1: face it, fish poo rocks.
2: Yep. Because that's it's, part of the closed system, isn't it? I so think 3,000 years it's been farmed for, carp. So it's been done for a long time. It's not like we are inventing anything new. And it's also the, the Chinese regarded as the most nutrient-dense fish. Really? And it actually really, you know, uh, uh, loves high density. So mm-hmm. it's not like uh, a wild ocean fish and you're trying to cram it into cages and, you know, <laughs> this is actually a fish that, that, you know, does really well when you put it into these kind of situations.
1: I'm, I'm laughing because the analogy of when, say, uh, let's say tuna, for instance, yep. uh, if you cage tunas and you grow those in pens, the terrestrial equivalent of that is if you are farming tigers. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it sounds weird when you say it like that, but, it's but that's,
1: true.
2: that's what we're doing. Yeah. It
1: doesn't make sense. Um, could you do like a Murray
2: Cod? Murray Cod, yeah. Um, they prefer temperatures, so we, we wouldn't be able to have them outside. Ah, okay. So, yeah, they'll have to be, uh, because there's like a glass atrium, that's a stairwell that gets you onto the rooftop gardens. Got it. And that's where we will have the species that prefer a little bit of warmer weather.
1: All right, Joost, um, thank you for for coming in. We want to keep track of um, what you are doing, so please keep us in the loop in regard to that. I will,
2: and well done for this show again for this year. Oh, that's kind of you. Love listening to it.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Um, You're going to hang around with um, Katharina's coming in from uh, Katerina's Cucina, and uh, there might be a glass of bubbles and even a piece of patentone.
2: Oh, wow. Are you going to have a piece of patatone? We wait.
1: We've uh, we've bated breath. But unfortunately, it's radio, so we have to move on, Remy. But we'll ask you a little bit later. Matt, you've got something you're dying to Actually, tell us? We've got a giveaway. How about you? you want us to read the uh, the prize sheet out there for the wonderful... The Taste of Melbourne Creative Collab? And in the festival's spirit of creative fusion, chefs will collaborate with graffiti artists, mm. designers and sculptors in kitchens and studios around the city. The great news is they'll work together to create unique dishes and limited edition artwork available at the festival. Tickets are available from melbourne.tastefestivals.com. I'll repeat that, melbourne.tastefestivals.com. Triple R has a one double pass to give away, which includes entry to the festival, a souvenir tumbler. Come on, ring up. That's worth the thing. 93881027. Souvenir tumbler. I'll say it one more time. A complimentary drink. It says you're looking fabulous. (laughs) And a limited edition tote bag. Um, So give us a ring. We'll do that. Oh, yeah, there we go. That worked.
0: And, of course, you've got to be a subscriber. Have your subscriber number ready. We're going to have a little bit of a quick track, Cameron, that you selected that I said was going to be too quick, but we're already running late. So...
1: And this was uh, inspired by yesterday as well. So here we go. 1243... Here's a quick track by Mochiba. Thanks again, Joost. Ah, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, <laughs> the wine is flowing here because uh, we have one of the doyens, the queens of hospitality within this town. <laughs> Katarina is already waving her hands at me going, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm going to have to slap you. <laughs> Katerina, a very, very warm welcome. Um, you're not a stranger here to this station, but not at this time slot. In <laughs> fact, we're 12 hours out, aren't we?
3: Yeah, we are, actually, yes. Uh, I've been doing that show with Headley and the crew for years, and it's so much fun. Um, of course, I'm one of those lucky people that get to work by day only, as you know, and I'm not a respirator by night.
1: This is, and, and it's oh. kind of an extraordinary position that you, uh, that you you that you inhabit in the fact that First of all, I think you're a very uncompromising kind of person. Katerina is someone who's never going to die wondering.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, there we go, correct. Yes, <laughs> I, like I like that. Um,
1: but just the very fact that you are able to do a restaurant within your own terms in the city, but lunches only. How did that come about? Well. And maybe, what's the name of the place, just to, so that we can.
3: Katerina's Gucina et Bar. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, do you know what? I. I always my husband is a muser. yeah and there was one deal we had to have at least one baby. So yes. you know, working in restaurants, it's impossible to see each other, let alone stay married. Huh? Right,
1: and I'd love to hear Italians negotiate <laughs> things too. That would have been yeah. an interesting thing.
3: To <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not
1: gonna do... <laughs> uh, so so I, how did that go? That obviously oh, went pretty well.
3: Well, we had one baby, so I had, yes. we had one go at it. Okay. <laughs> yes. she's perfect. But she's perfect. <laughs> I but she's perfect. Yeah, working perfect. But you know, the thing was that. If I could work lunches, I could be a mother of an evening, and we could have a life as a restaurateur, a
1: and and that's the thing that yeah. that destroys so many people within it's this industry. Thing. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm not in the industry now. Yeah, yeah. Of it's course. the fact that you are expected to work split shifts or, mm-hmm. you know, all those hours, mm-hmm. and so
3: it's a tough gig and and you know I want to see my mother, I have an aging mother who's on a dairy farm and I want to go home on weekends I, I want to be able to have a life so if I continued like I did with my first restaurant I wouldn't have had a life so that was mm. the deal, it wasn't about money uh, it was about me me being happy and at least having one baby which we got so we were really lucky, um, I'm not going to say it's been an easy gig in the city no. um, you were in the city before you know what, what it takes to run a business um, and and, you know, we were we were just a little business. That's what we were. And, um, you know, I still remember people saying to me, oh, you're never going to survive. You're not How gonna many years it. ago did you start? So 22 years ago. 22 years ago yeah. saying, hey,
1: it's crazy. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Hatterina, listen to me.
3: Yeah. And, you know, we started with a place that I didn't particularly like. I didn't build it. I inherited it. You know, yucky carpet. Hated the light fittings. All those things. <laughs> and then it's an evolution. Yes. It becomes an evolution, so you make a bit of money and you spend a bit of money. That's that's the thing with restaurateurs. Was the
1: carpet the first thing to go?
3: Oh, God, that was ugly. (laughs) (laughs) It was revolting. I hated it. (laughs) Hit
1: a nerve there, have I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
3: But, you know, it's a question about making money. You have to be sustainable, um, you know, in terms of money. And uh, you also have to pay your chefs and your staff and the whole team. So you have to be able to manage that really well. A problem with a lot of people is that they don't understand the management. Of you can have a great chef and great dishes, but seriously, yeah. if you can't run a business, you're not going to stay in business. That's the point. No. So, yeah. It's, it's not
1: that old, you know, the, uh, the thing we've heard so many times before, people wanting to go in restaurants because they throw great dinner parties.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that doesn't yeah. work.
1: And yet, now we talk about you specialize in lunches. Yeah. Now, where is your place, just in case people want to come Would along? Would you
3: believe 221? Two,
1: two, yes. 221 Queen Street. Yeah. Indeed. So mm. in, right in the, the land of the lawyers and the judges mm. and all that sort of things. Yeah. Um, but lunch, mm. just Lunches. the very notion. I mean, think about this, folks, if you're at home or if you're driving, think of that very notion of lunch. Is lunch the greatest meal of the day? I'm Italian, you bet. Hey, it's a Dorothy Dixer, I'm handling it to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. you you bet. Yeah.
3: So, so... Why? uh, Look, I'm going to say this to you. So, you know how often where you end up in your career is about childhood memories and what you grew up with? Mm. Now, you know, my father, who did become a farmer, but originally he started off... As a waiter, you know one of those very iconic restaurants in the middle of the city. the Society. He was at the
1: society, yeah. A building which has just been sold.
3: Yes, it has. Who's
1: going to? Who's going to? Any idea? Sorry, digression. Anyone knows what's going to happen to it?
3: Well, I know the son of Mr. Codignotto, and he said. Say but, the same again, uh, Mr. Codegnoto.
1: I'm not even I know that. you don't you want me to speak me. Italian. Boom. <laughs> no, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yes. But
3: it, I mean, you know, it's a building that needed a lot of work. He said, and, and honestly, once again, um, from the twenties, that building. Yeah, yes. absolutely. He was iconic that that restaurant. I was actually speaking to my mother, trying to remind myself what my father went through, and she said, "You know, he started working there in '55 uh, up till '65 when we moved so to." The he farm. was even
1: before Pellegrini's was across yeah, the corner. Yeah,
3: yeah. This was serious Whoa. stuff. My uncle was at Florentino's, yeah. and uh, my father was there. And she was and telling.
1: This she, was the when it was called the Latin Quarter. Go
3: on. Yeah. It, well, quite and. Cause it was a group of about five restaurants as far as I, I know. Like, you know, there was the, there was the Latin and the Virgones. It was a whole crew, but it was really tight. And don't think normal people ate there. As my mother said, it was people with money. They were mainly Australians. They weren't the Italians. They, they were migrants for crying out loud. They had nothing. Mm. And, but it was a great entry into society. And, you know, she said he went there because they had great tips. So if you were thinking of a migrant um, doing a normal job, yeah. it was normal money. But he had a dream that he wanted to be um, self-employed. Something more. But he, no, he was always going to work for himself. Yes. My mother said, you know, in those days the customer was always right. Now we have a bit more of a voice. We, mm. we can control things. But in those days the customer was always right and you were simply a servant. With not no disrespect, but that's just the way it was. Yes. And um, and anyway, you know, and if there were no customers coming in the door, Dad used to say he would feel, you know, the wrath of the owner because he had to make payment. You know, all those things that I guess we go through today. But it was just a different time. And uh anyway, um, he just... You know, ten years he made enough money, and off he went and became a dairy farmer. Um, but it was what I wanted to say to you is that there was a whole crew of those Italian migrants that ended up. They're all buddies, or friends from school, mm. and they all sort of got jobs for each other. So it was a really, really. Uh, I mean, in-
1: it was a big extended family of all the people supporting each other. But just yeah. getting back to that whole notion of lunch. Mm. Lunch is a beautiful thing because you first of all you're eating during the daytime is is a great thing, and you you know from a digestion point of view quite it's it's kind of a better thing and the thing that I just wanted to ask you because this is the thing that you have staked your whole career on, and your working day is the ability to give people great lunches,
3: yeah. And that's that's it's a that's a hard gig. Mm. I I want to say that it's interesting because with my former restaurant it was night time, so the dynamics are totally different. Yeah. You're dealing with husbands and wives and girlfriends, celebrations, birthday parties. There's a totally different vibe. feeling yeah, yeah. and vibe in the room, whereby lunches in the city you're dealing with people cutting that deal, and you actually become part of the deal. So you have to be able to be a great reader of a room, a great reader of a table. Um, there are time frames. Sometimes they've got to get back to court.
1: That's going to say, yeah, and that's... Oh, that's yeah. the
3: hard part of the job. That's the only hard part of the job yeah. is the timing. It's all about the timing.
1: You have to be one of the most empathic. You have to have so much empathy for people to look around and understand them. And in a way, great restaurateurs are almost like amateur psychologists in the fact that they know who to leave alone, who needs lots of love because they're kind of needy. Who has to be out of here in 20 minutes?
3: Yeah, that's right. We don't let them go, by the way. Oh really? <laughs> I, mean, I need them for a bit longer.
1: <laughs> you need another glass of wine. Yeah.
3: Do you know, you know, I, there was this fantastic article months ago about, you know, a restaurant is something you can sort of liken it to an orchestra. So I conduct that orchestra, but I need every part of that orchestra to play in order for it to work. So mm. the bussy, the dishwasher, Not just the chef, not just the manager or the senior waiters. Everybody plays a part in all of that. It's a team. Yeah, it's a real – it's a team It has to be a team. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Now, Matt sort of brought this up and we we Mm. need to just have a little bit of a look at it. Italian food is, you know, one of of the great foods of the world. I mean, that's just a tick. Mm. Some say. That um, in a way, Italian food has been almost a victim of, of its success in the fact that it has become mired in its own past, and there is no way that it can move forward. You know, like um, we can think of lots of dishes that were developed last century. Yep. And in a way, is it kind of stuck that it can't move on and evolve? And does it need to evolve?
3: Well, that's a really interesting question. Well, think about carbonara. Yes. Just think about the, that. The, the, why would the you stuck around with it? The
1: miner's pasta.
3: Yes, but why would you stuff around with it?
1: Well, I, well what What can you do
3: to it to make it better when you've got eggs, one charlie, pepper? You know, think about the basic. Pancetta? P- uh, no What? <laughs> only. See, we need a camera because nope. the Smack. finger came out. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, the what finger. are you talking about? It? <laughs> uh, two yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To <laughs> a peace sign. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, no, but you see, why would you? I mean, I was a student yes. at university in the late seventies, mm. and look, I hope I don't offend anybody here, but seriously, yes, yeah, seriously, what we were, what they were serving, just sometimes I shake.
1: What Skippy pasta? <sighs> and the there was cream
3: sp- everywhere, and it yeah. was plastic cheese. Spew it was, cheese. Do you know people? Oh God! Yes. It just they weren't restaurateurs, were they? No. They were just people making money. It was a different... Different ethos. Yeah. But that's okay too. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying Mm. that's how it was. So my view was that when I was going to start a restaurant that I was never going to do that. Mm. I needed to stay true to myself. But I want to say something else to you. You think about pizza. Yes. You think about coffee, which was born in Lycan Street, virtually. Yes. Yes. You think about gelato. Yes. Now, when you say... Italian food hasn't moved along. Oh, my God, it's created a whole craze here in Melbourne, probably the rest of the country as well. So Italian food is not stuck.
2: Mm.
3: Uh, it is the perception, I think, more than that. Okay, you know, pizza, have you thought about it years ago? Mm. There was some pretty average pizza around. I mean, let, let's say. Now, minimal ingredients. Do we want you know, Neapolitan or do we want Roman pizza? I mean, you, you see, there's a whole new industry there in itself mm. which has spawned all those gorgeous Italian boys that strut their stuff. <laughs> you know, it's all part of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and, and let's face it, you know, one of the great things you talk about is espresso coffee. And one of the things that even though the espresso martini was uh, developed and invented in London, it was actually the Melbourneese and the great coffee that we make that brought that espresso martini to another level. Absolutely. So we can thank the Italians for that,
3: yeah. huh? Yeah. it's Look, the Italians have got a lot. They've bought a lot. Um, but food in itself, it's what it is is that I think Australians in general are better travelled. Yes. They know what yeah. uh, a matricana should be or whatever. So the point yeah. is, you know, stay true to yourself, stick to the recipes. You can funk it up, sure, mm. but Italian is always Italian.
1: That was fun- fun- It up, wasn't it, you said? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> good. Oh, you're so good, so.
3: Cam. I swear, j- Cam's good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've
1: got Yost here and Remy's Yoast. outside. Uh, it <laughs> is nearly one o'clock. Um, Katerina, we need to have you back on again. Uh, lovely to, to have you on. Yost has been happily just sipping on this great champagne you brought in. Francia Corta. It's the
3: Italian version of French champagne. Isn't it wonderful? Mm.
1: It's good. We need to go because Sunday lunch is on. I thank both of you for coming on. Great to see you. And we've got Sunday lunch, and the mastermind subject is music. Oh, nice. Music.
0: And don't forget this time next week, uh, head on down the series for the Barbecue Day
1: festivities. Thanks for listening.
3: This has been a podcast from 3RRR
0: 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.